0: It's one of the deepest, richest, most important books of the Bible, Romans. In this message, join Pastor Chris Chadwick and learn more about what the Bible says in the book of Romans. Would you find Romans chapter five in our Bible, in your Bible? Romans chapter five in your Bible, and also find Ephesians chapter two, Romans chapter five, and Ephesians chapter two. Romans 5 and Ephesians 2. Several years ago, uh, I don't know, six, seven, maybe eight years ago, probably seven years ago, Debbie and I uh, were planning on taking a trip to New York City. We had never been before, and there was a church planner there that we were going to kind of see what they were doing, see their work, and be an encouragement to them. And and uh, um, we're excited to to be a part of the services at their church plant. And then we were going to take, I don't know, a good amount of time, four or five days, and just kind of see New York City, not knowing if we'd ever go back. And uh, we were there, just pre- we were preparing, and about two months out, Debbie got a phone call, and um, we both work obviously here at the church, and she came into my office, and she did one of those. Wife gets a phone call and is talking to you about the phone call while she's on the phone with them. How many of you know what that's like? Your wife's like she's trying to hold it up, and she's talking. They can hear the whole thing anyway, but she's talking, and she comes in, and to make a long story short, the Marriott Corporation had called us, and, or called her, and they were offering us a four-night, five-day stay uh, in a hotel. Uh, and they had several places around the country that we could go. Uh, we could go to Yuma, Arizona. That's <sighs> funnier than you think. It, it, I'm building. Uh, we could go to, like, Topeka, Kansas, Kansas. Oh, we could go to Houston, Texas in the month of August just to see what that's like, or we could go to New York City. In other words, they wanted everybody to go to New York City, and so the other three places were a bust, and and so four nights, five days, in New York City, and uh, Debbie's like, and it's free. All we have to do is pay our plane fare there, and, and we'll be able to stay there, and she said, do you want to take it? I said, well, what's the catch? And she said, well, we have to sit through one of their 90-minute presentations. Now, I know that a lot of people after the 830 service said, I hate those presentations, and I'm not a fan of them by any means at all, but I will tell you this, (laughs) to stay four nights in New York City for free, uh, in Manhattan, I was like, oh yeah, we will totally take them up on that. 90 minutes of my life, four nights, five days, that'll be great. You say, what do you do in those meetings? I just share the gospel the whole time. Sometimes it actually shortens the meeting. And so they, 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 uh, we signed up for it, and they sent us to a hotel, well, the hotel that we chose was the Lexington, commonly called in the area, the Lex. It's on the corner of Lexington Avenue and East 48th Street. It's it's across the street from the east side of Grand Central Station. I mean, it is a beautiful hotel built in the 30s, and it's in a prime location. Debbie and I love it. We walked to Times Square, walked to Broadway. I mean, it's just a wonderful, wonderful thing. And so, so we go to the hotel that night, or we go to the hotel eventually for the first time. But we show up at the hotel, we walk in, and we walk in, and you knew we were tourists because we had a smile on our face in New York City, and we had clothes with color. Two things that don't ever happen in New York. If you want to find the tourist in New York City, look at people who seem happy with life. You know he's not a New Yorker. And now that they're unhappy, they just don't seem happy. They just, they just have a constant scowl on their face. And those of you that used to live in New York, you'll testify to That's the look that people have in New York City. have got several New Yorkers here, and the reason they're not going back is they can't get the smile off of their face. And they're like, I'd go back, I'd probably get beat up by my mother for smiling too much. And so uh, so we were in New York City, and we go in, and we check in, and no doubt about it, it was a wonderful hotel, beautiful lobby, and the desk uh, agent that or a representative, as we're done checking uh, in and all of that, says to Debbie and I, she says, now you're going to need to check with the concierge for your benefits. I looked at Debbie and I said, that doesn't happen at the Motel 6. They just don't tell us about benefits, so we kind of laugh about it. We go up to our room. I begin to unpack. Debbie unpacks, and Debbie's always one to find out what the benefits are, and so she unpacked really quickly, and she said, hey, I'll meet you downstairs. I'm going to go to the concierge desk and figure out what we get. I'm like, awesome. So Debbie makes her way down there. I finish unpacking, and, and I go down, and as uh, I walk through the lobby, and I walk up to her, I'm like, well, you know, she goes, you're not going to believe it. It's like, what? What will I not believe? They are giving us $400 towards food. 50 restaurants we can pick out from and $400 towards food. Now, I didn't know that only meant one meal in New York City but $400 towards food. She goes, and excursions. We get four excursions. And I thought, what is this, a, a cruise ship? Is this motel going to fall into the Hudson River? We get excursions? She goes, yeah, we can go to museums or there's tours or Broadway shows. And I was like, oh, that is legit. I love that. She goes, I'm not done. She said, this is a club hotel. And I was like, no, I knew there had to be a catch. I'm not going to a hotel where there's clubbing. Oh, my word. Why are you excited about it? I've seen you dance. It's not good. She goes, no, you idiot. It's not a clubbing hotel. It's a club hotel, which means that we are part of the presidential club. I was like, that sounds good. She goes, so they have a special room for us where they serve a really nice breakfast for free. There's snacks all day long, all the soda and water that you want, full meals in the evening, and desserts till about midnight. And we can have whatever we want, as much as we want the whole time we're there. And it's all free. And I loved the last phrase, it's all free. love that. Can I tell you something? We took advantage of every benefit. We took a calculator out and made sure that we spent $400 on food. I went on tours I didn't even want to go on just because they were free. I went to Broadway shows that I never thought would be enjoyable. They weren't bad. They were okay. We, we went to some museums, the Guggenheim Museum. Frank Lloyd Wright built a big fan. Beautiful, loved it. I ate breakfast and gorged myself. I ate dinner and gorged myself. And I walked out with a big can of candy every single day. I mean, it was just a wonderful, wonderful experience, and I took advantage of every benefit. Last week, if you were here, you read in Romans chapter 5 with us, verse 1, that we are justified by faith. I'm sorry, sorry, therefore being justified by faith. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. We learned last week that one of the benefits of justification is peace with God. The reason I have peace with God is because I'm justified. I'll define justified in just a minute. The second benefit that we have is in verse number two, by whom we also have access by faith into this grace, wherein we stand and rejoice in hope of his glory. We learned last week as well that we have direct access to God. I don't have to go through another man, another person, another individual, or any mediator. I can pray directly to God. I can go directly to him. And then we saw last week in verse number two at the end, and rejoice in the hope of glory. We have the hope of heaven to look forward to. I was reminded this week again of people in our church and loved ones of mine who have lost people that were saved, that they, they knew the Lord, and they passed away this week, weeks, recent weeks. And the truth of the matter is, as the Bible says, we sorrow not as others which, which have no hope. That though they have passed on, though they are with the Lord, we are so thankful that we will one day see them. We have the hope of heaven. Well, all of this comes in verse 25 because we are justified, or, uh, verse 25 of chapter 4, because we are justified. Verse 25 of uh, chapter 4 says, who was delivered for our offenses and raised again for our justification. Justification reveals the fact that a person is righteous in God's eyes. That a person is righteous in God's eyes. Now, it's important to understand this, that to be justified never means to make anyone righteous or to put away their sin by their own efforts or by their own abilities. It means that man in his fallen condition can never pay the price for his sin. What do you mean fallen condition? Because Adam sinned, we're all sinners and we can never pay the price for our own justification. The way that we are justified is by putting our faith and trust in Jesus Christ alone, who died, was buried, and rose again, the verse says, for our justification. So we have peace, access, and hope because of our justification. Well, the passage, just to start there, the paragraph actually of Romans chapter 5 runs through verse number 11. We see in verse number three, and not only so, but we glory in tribulation also, knowing that tribulation worketh patience, and patience experience, and experience hope. We see in verses three and four, Christian maturity is the next benefit of justification. Christian maturity is the next benefit of justification, Christian maturity is not only desired for the follower of Christ, it's expected. It's expected that you and I would mature in our faith. God wants you and I to be more like Christ. And in truth, that's why most of you came to church today. You, you want to be more like Christ you might be at different spots on the on the walk of faith you might be at different places on the walk of faith but our our prayer is today that you came to worship God and to hear a word of encouragement that will help you and encourage you and draw you closer to Christ and therefore make you christ like I mean good grief that's that's why you got up in the rain and you drove here and 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 you're enjoying hopefully uh, a service so that when you leave you'll be more like Christ than when you came. No doubt there are some who are here just checking things out and we're thankful that you're here, but as a general rule, most people came to grow in Christian maturity. But have you noticed that maturity doesn't just happen? You ever met an old immature person? I call it my brother. You ever met an old immature person? Maturity doesn't just happen. Sometimes people say, because I'm older than you, I'm wiser than you. That's not a guarantee by any stretch of the imagination. Age and maturity are, are not synonymous. And Christian maturity is no different. As a matter of fact, Christian maturity requires work. It's a work that we're thankful for because it brings about Christ's likeness. What's the purpose of this work? There, there are many ways that we can mature, but our text leads us into this um, idea or the thought here with, because it uses these words. Our text leads us into this idea of tribulation. Notice verse number three. We glory in tribulation also knowing that tribulation, work with patience, and patience experience and experience hope. The word tribulation means to be pressed by evil, affliction distress, or trouble. We glory in that? Come on, Paul, are you serious? Now, Paul is writing people in Rome, and persecution has started a little bit, but it's going to really escalate in the years ahead, in the very near future. It's going to, it's going to escalate in a great way. And Paul is saying, we glory in evil or affliction or distress or trouble, And it's a word that was used to signify the squeezing of olives into olive oil or grapes into grape juice. Obviously, a a tumultuous time for the olive and the grape. I'm being pressed out. Everything that's inside of me is coming out. That's what this word tribulation means. And so Paul says, we glory in tribulation also. Well, why would we do that? What's the point of glorying in tribulation? What's the the point? What's the idea here? Well, we know, verse number three, that that tribulation does something. There's a production involved behind it. There's There's an effect of tribulation if we'll allow it to affect us this way. And tribulation worketh patience or endurance or perseverance It's as one uh, dictionary put it, the ability to hang in there when the going gets tough. The ability to hang in there when the going gets tough. Now, he's talking to believers primarily, and he's saying, believers, you need to understand something. That tribulation or the struggle that you're going through, or the loss of that loved one, or the loss of that job, or that child who's walked away from you, or that utter disappointment in your career field, or or, or whatever the case may be, that the point of tribulation is not simply tribulation. The point of the tribulation, the point of the struggle, the point of the pressing, the point of the, the, the evil, the point of all. All of that is to bring about patience or endurance or perseverance or the ability to hang in there when the going gets tough. The affliction that we endure today, said one author, is preparation for a greater trial tomorrow. If one fails to endure present affliction, he will cave in when he must face greater trials tomorrow. That's why some affliction today is a good thing. One never knows what may lie ahead, but if he is to endure it, whatever it may be, he must prepare today. When you experience affliction, you have to allow affliction to do its job. Do not flee it. Don't flee it. If it is at work in your life producing endurance, don't run from it. The college that I graduated from had a unique if you will, way of doing classes because they would bring in professors from across the country, pastors across the country to teach and, and to do the instruction. And, and pastors obviously can't be there every Tuesday for an hour or every Thursday for an hour, so they'd bring in specialist uh, men who were maybe specifically uh, good in a certain area, and they would bring them into our college. And, and we would have these intensive classes where we would have for two weeks one subject for three hours a day. I mean, it was not an easy, Easy thing to endure, and and all that homework that you could imagine being involved in it. And, and so we would have to go through that. And there was more than a few times my senior year when I'm going through that when I would look out, and sometimes because of the nature of that, they would combine freshmen and senior classes, which didn't bother us seniors, but it wasn't very fun for the freshmen. And more than a few times the freshmen were would be overwhelmed, and sometimes they were ready to quit. And I would often and others would often walk up to to the freshmen and, and try to give them a word of encouragement to let them know they're going to make it through, to let them know that things are going to be okay. Hey, just endure this. It'll get easier. Follow the program. Here's how you do that. There was, there was some encouragement going on. I know that this feels evil and afflicting and like tribulation, and it is. If you've ever studied the book of Revelation for three hours a day, every day for two weeks at 7.30 in the morning in a cold classroom with a boring teacher, let me tell you, that is the tribulation period. and and we would talk to them and we would try to give them a word of encouragement why? to help them get through it and by the time you're a senior it's just no big deal it's normal you have made it through made it through sometimes newer believers or a believer goes through a particularly hard time and they will ask this question and I think it's a fair question why are there troubles in this life? there's a rather simple answer Not easy, but simple. And the simple answer is, the reason that we go through struggles in this life is because our full world is filled with trouble. Our world is filled with tribulation. The world that you live in, the world that I live in, is filled with tribulation. Job, the first book that was ever written in the Bible. not uh, Genesis gives the account of creation, but Job was actually penned before Genesis. And Job says in Job 14.1, Man that is born of a woman is a few days and full of trouble. Our life's not very long, and our life is often very tumultuous. And so because of that, We understand that there's trouble in the world, but God has designed trouble or tribulation, verse number three, to have an intended goal of patience or endurance. Most of the time, people begin to walk away from the Lord during a time of tribulation and in the midst of endurance or perseverance or patience being molded in their life. Because they go through a tough time. They go through difficult circumstances. And Paul writes here, hey, tribulation worketh patience. And the point of patience or endurance is to create experience. And the word experience is a word that we wouldn't use in this context in our modern vernacular, but it means to be approved or tried or proof of genuineness or trustworthiness or proven Christian character. Proof of genuineness, trustworthiness, or proven Christian character. This term is used in in Paul's day when he's writing of the testing of precious metals like silver or gold to demonstrate their purity. When When a Christian experiences tribulation or trouble or difficulty or is being pressed out, that demands perseverance. And that perseverance in turn produces in them proven spiritual character. Just as the person who works with metal uses intense heat for, to purify silver and gold in order to cleanse them from their physical impurities, God uses tribulation to cleanse his children from their spiritual impurities. The Bible says in James 1.12, blessed is the man that endureth temptation, trials, tribulation. For when he is tried, he shall receive the crown of life which the Lord has promised to them that love him. Christian maturity, it produces that. Endurance and trustworthiness being proven produce hope. The Bible says, "In patience, experience, or Christian character, and Christian character, or patience, or perseverance, or genuineness, they produce hope." And that word hope is referring back to verse number two, where it says, "And rejoice in hope of the glory of God." Talking about heaven, it's a desire for good or expected, uh, the expectation of obtaining what God has promised us, and and it's spoken especially of those who experience the hope of salvation through Christ, the hope of salvation through Christ, every time we go through tribulation, we grow in our Christian endurance. And as we grow in our endurance, that produces maturity. And growth and maturity leads to a greater understanding of the power and grace of God in our lives. Tribulation contributes to a a present blessing and ultimate glory. Why am I going through this? Because we live in a sin cursed world. Why is my marriage struggling? Because we live in a sin cursed world. Why is my boss an idiot? Because you work for an idiot? No, because we live in a sin-cursed world. Why is my loved one sick? Debbie and I were talking this week. Her family's mother's had cancer many times. Her sister has very, very challenging cancer right now. Kind of going through that as a family. Why is that? because we live in a sin-cursed world, and there's tribulation in this world, and tribulation works patience, and patience, Christian character, and Christian character does all of, the, all of this comes to bring about in us a hope of eternal life that comes from Jesus Christ alone, and we look forward to heaven more because of the tribulation than we would have if every day was an easy day. That's why Paul says in verse number three. Not only so, but we there's an important word. It's kind of the, the hinge and the whole idea here. It's the, it's the it's the bedrock or the cornerstone of this paragraph. We glory in tribulation. The word glory means to boast in a good sense. In this text, it can mean good or bad, but in this context, obviously it means we, we glory in a good sense. We don't glory in tribulation because we're sadist. We don't glory in tribulation because we like to just hurt ourselves and we're into the grind. No, no. We glory because it produces Christian maturity, which brings about Christ-likeness. That's why Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5, verse number 10, Blessed are they which persecute you. Oh, I'm sorry, blessed are they which are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Rejoice and be exceeding glad. Great is your reward in heaven, for so persecuted they the prophets which were before you. You mean to tell me that I'm blessed if I'm if I'm being reviled, I'm blessed if I'm being persecuted, I'm blessed if people say all manner of evil against me falsely for Christ's sake? Are, are you serious? I, I, am, I really, am I really blessed? That word literally means to be happy. An idea would not be dissimilar from the word glory. I, I can take joy in, I can take glory in, I can be happy in tribulation. Yes, you can be happy in tribulation. Why could I be happy in tribulation? Because of of the fruit that it produces. An untested life and an untested faith is a faith that can't be trusted. Growing up, I had the opportunity to play basketball a lot. It was a a fun upbringing in that regard. I really enjoyed it. More than a few times, old men, uh, I mean men my age right now, would come to the courts, and uh, I don't know if you ever played, but um, it was, you know, the the whole I got next. If you win, you stay on the court, and you keep playing until you lose. And and it wasn't uncommon to hear some older guys on the sideline talking about the glory days, the, the days that I talk about with fondness now, but to hear them talk about the glory days and to hear them talk about how amazing they were and to hear them talk about, like, you know, this is how good we were back in the day. And then and, and they would finally get on the court and their abilities were not tested So they shouldn't have been trusted. But because they hadn't tested their abilities, they got on the court. And when we tested their abilities, meaning those of us that were running the court, when we tested their abilities, they were found very, very inferior to those of us who had been playing and those of us who were younger and those of us who were just for that stage of life, much more athletic than they were. We had tested ourselves and proven ourselves and knew our abilities, and they did not. Tribulation, and so they were embarrassed. Tribulation for the believer tests us to hel- and helps us to understand where we are at. Faith that is not tested cannot be trusted. patience, experience, and experience, hope. And then we turn over to verse number five or look at verse number five and hope, the hope of heaven makes us not ashamed. That, that just means be ashamed because the expectation has failed. We're, we're not ashamed because the, the hope of eternal life hasn't happened. We're not ashamed because we're not in heaven yet. Well, why are we not ashamed? Because the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts. People have been mocking Christians because Christ hasn't returned for years. Second Peter chapter three, verse number three, it says knowing this first, that there shall come the last days scoffers walking after their own lust, saying, Where is the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning. For this they are willingly ignorant of that by the word of God the heavens were of old, they are standing out of the water and in the water, whereby the, the world that then was being overflowed with water, perished. But the heavens and the earth, which are now by the same word, are kept in store, reserved unto fire against the day of judgment and perdition of ungodly men. But beloved... Be not ignorant of this one thing, that one day is with the Lord as a thousand years, and a thousand years as a day. The Lord is not slack concerning his promises, as some men count slackness, but is long suffering to us who are not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. People say all the time, When is the Lord going to return? And why hasn't he already returned? Well, he's not returned because he's long suffering, desiring that you would come to Christ. The day will come as a thief in the night, verse number 10, in which the heavens will pass away with a great noise, and the elements melt with a fervent heat. The earth also, and the works that are therein shall be burned up. Seeing that all these things shall be dissolved, what manner of persons ought you to be in holy conversation or holy manner of life and godliness? We're looking for and hastening unto the coming of the day of God wherein the heavens being on fire shall be dissolved and the elements shall melt with a fervent heat. Nevertheless, we, according to his promise, look for new heavens and a new earth wherein dwelleth righteousness. Here's what Peter is saying. Don't be ashamed. The Lord is going to return. It's what Paul is saying. Don't be ashamed. The Lord is going to return. I guarantee you he's going to return. I promise you he's going to return. If you're not saved, get saved. The Lord is coming back and he's coming back soon and he's coming back quickly. We're in the last days. That's all that he's saying. Well, how could I know that with such certainty? Verse number five, and our next point and our next benefit, the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts. Why do I have this hope? Because the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts. The Christian hope does not fail. The word shed abroad means to be poured out to be given generously. The love of God is literally poured out by God. It's given generously to us. I think sometimes if you've been a believer for very long, it's easy to lose sight of the love of God. We kind of get used to it. Sometimes we have to be reminded of His love as we go through a trial or a tribulation. Sometimes the Holy Spirit just comforts us in amazing ways through it. I often find myself at times struggling to remember the love of God, and God will bring a new believer into my life that will, and this happened a couple of times in the last few weeks, that would just say things in the course of conversation like, Pastor, before I got saved, I was always anxious, I was so nervous. I had no peace in my life. My life was just consistently in turmoil. And then they'll say something like this, and the moment I got saved, somebody said these exact words to me last week, it's like the love of God just overflowed my soul. And I thought, yep, that's how it is. That's how it is. You say, What'd you do? I just kind of thought about it and I walked away. I mean, we had a few words of parting and encouragement, but I, I walked away and I began to think to myself, that's how it should be for me. The love of God. I should remember that day, June 16th, 1983, uh, when I got saved as a 10-year-old kid in Port Orchard, Washington. I'll never forget that moment, not, not for a single day. But sometimes I forget about it and I, I get lo- I lose sight of the fact that the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost, which is given. Unto us. Well, how's the love of God in my heart? By the Holy Ghost of God. The moment I got saved, Ephesians chapter 1, verse number 13, the moment I got saved, the Holy Spirit of God took up residence in my life and I was sealed. That means set apart or distinct. I was sealed by the Holy Spirit of promise, which is the earnest of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession unto the praise of His glory. Or in other words, the Holy Spirit lives inside the believer and will live inside. The believer until God either takes the believer home or until he returns. His love is shed abroad in our hearts. What a great benefit. Don't we live in a hateful world? Don't we live in a hate filled world? It's like at every turn, I'm thankful for great people, and I love people, and I love hanging out with folks, and I love visiting with people. But it just seems like at every turn, it doesn't matter what news station you turn on, there's one more example of hatred, one more example of of, of people despising one another, one more example of violence, one more example of theft. I'm so thankful that in in a sin-cursed world, the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts. I'm so thankful. We see in verse number 9, not only the love of God in our hearts, but we see verse number 9, much more being now justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. We're we're saved from the wrath to come. We are saved from the wrath to come. The word wrath here in verse number 9 means divine judgment to be inflicted on the wicked. We are saved from wrath through him. Paul argues from the lesser to the greater, and here's the idea, if God saved us, verse number eight, when we were his enemies, he surely will not abandon us when we are his children. And there is a wrath to come. I I, I understand people mock it, they make fun of it, they ridicule it. I, I get all of that, but let me, on the authority of the word of God, say there is a wrath to come. And it's not just one verse that talks about it. First Thessalonians chapter one, verse number nine, says for they themselves show us what mannering of enter in we had unto you, how that we how that ye turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God, and to wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, even Jesus, which delivered us from the wrath to come. The church at Thessalonica thought that, uh, that First Thessalonians was written to, they thought that, that the rapture had already happened. They thought that they were living in a time of tribulation. And Paul is telling them, no, the, the days that you live in are dark, but understand, there is a greater wrath to come. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 verse number 8 it says but let us who are of the day be sober putting on the breastplate of faith and love for an helmet of, salva- of hope of salvation for God hath not appointed us to wrath but to obtain salvation by our Lord Jesus Christ who died for us that whether we wake or sleep we should live together with him God hath appointed us hath not appointed us to wrath but to obtain salvation from the Lord verse number 10 Paul says this if we then which were enemies were reconciled to we were reconciled to God by the death of his son much more being reconciled we shall be saved by his life we're saved by his life because Christ lives we are eternally saved If you repent and put your faith and trust in Christ, because Christ lives, we are saved or can be saved. Salvation is available. It's available to you. It's available to me. Salvation from what? From the wrath to come. If you're here and you don't know Christ, can I tell you that you will endure the wrath to come and then there'll be an eternal wrath to come if you reject Christ. But if you will repent and trust Christ as your Savior, He promises in His Word that He will save you. The says, I'm not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. God wants you to be saved And, and salvation from the wrath to come. You say, are you trying to scare me into heaven? I'm not trying to scare you into heaven. I'm not trying to scare anybody. I'm just letting you know what's to come based on the authority of the Scripture. I do a great disservice... If I was at your house and I knew that people were about to break in and cause great harm and violence to you and your family, if I walked in your house and acted like everything was normal and I didn't say anything, if we survived and you said to me, Chris, did you know about this? Oh, I knew, but I didn't want to be negative. I just just was hoping it wouldn't happen. You wouldn't trust me, and you shouldn't trust me. You wouldn't like me, and you shouldn't like me. You wouldn't let me babysit your kids, and you shouldn't let me babysit your kids. Because I was found untrustworthy as a proclaimer of the good news of Jesus Christ. I have to let you know it's not all good news. There's bad news if you reject Christ. The good news is he will save you eternally. The bad news is if you don't come to him, he will send you into outer darkness where there is weeping and gnashing of teeth. But he loved you so much, verse number 8, God commended his love toward us that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. That is not theoretical, that is actual Christ died for you. And the reason that we have hope and the reason that we have joy is because we are justified by the blood of Jesus Christ. And there is a salvation from the wrath to come for all who are justified. And then notice finally in verse 10 and 11, For if when we were enemies we were reconciled to God by the death of His Son, much more being reconciled, we shall be saved by His life. And not only so, but we also joy in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom we have now received the atonement. The word atonement uh, means reconciliation, same word that Paul would use there. We are reconciled. That word in verse number 10 means restored or changed, changed from a state of enmity or being the enemy of God, changed from being at enmity to being a friend, In the New Testament, it means restoration to divine favor by bringing about a change in man. Or we would use this word conversion, the means or occasion of reconciling the world to God. It's a powerful word. We were reconciled to God, how? By the death of His Son or by the death of Jesus Much more being reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. Here's a great reality. I've said for weeks, just as we go through Romans, that we were the enemies of God. We're at enmity with God. We are his enemy and he is ours because of our sin. But I'm very thankful that God did not declare war on us. Had God declared war on us, we would be without hope. But rather than declare war on his enemy, he sent his son Jesus to die for our sin. That's why verse number 11, we have peace with God and, and we joy in God through Christ by whom we've received the atonement or received the reconciliation. We were his enemies, but we're reconciled by the death of Christ to God. And that's how we receive the atonement. And what a great benefit it is. Ephesians chapter 2, verse number 11, I ask you to find that. The Bible says in Ephesians two eleven, Wherefore, remember that ye being in time past Gentiles in the flesh, who are called uncircumcision by that which is called circumcision in the flesh made by hands, that at that time we were without, you were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenant of promise, having no hope and without God in this world. Think of that phrase, no hope. Having no hope. Oh, I tell you, I'm thankful for the hope that I have in Jesus Christ. I'm thankful for the hope that you have in Jesus Christ. And Paul is talking about people who were without God. They had no hope. They were without God in this world. But now in Christ Jesus, ye who sometimes were far off are made nigh by the blood of Christ. For he is our peace. Who hath made both one and hath broken down the middle wall of partition between us? He is our peace. Here's what this means that man can have peace with God because of the death of Christ. That Christ tore down the middle wall, the veil. We talked about it last week. I don't have to go to another man to pray. I don't have to go to a priest to pray. I don't have to go to a book to pray. I can go directly to God to pray. Why? Because the middle wall has been broken down between me and God. God is no longer distinct from me. God and God wants to hear from me. Wherefore I also, after I heard of your faith... I'm sorry. Uh, verse number, this is why I, you get lost sometimes. Verse number 15. Having abolished in his flesh the enmity, even the law of commandments contained in ordinances, for to make in himself of twain one new man, so making peace, so that he might reconcile both unto God in one body by the cross, having slain the enmity thereby. When Jesus died, that enmity, that, 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 that separation, the fact that we were enemies was squashed by the blood of Jesus Christ at his death on the cross. Verse 17, Ephesians 2. And he came and he preached peace to you which were afar off and to them which were nigh. For through him we both have access by one spirit unto the Father. You can go to God. You are reconciled to God. You are restored Your state has been changed. You're now His friend. You can go directly to Him. It's one of the great benefits of justification. I'm glad you come to church. I'm really glad. It's a bummer to preach to myself. It really is. It's really bad to sing to myself. Not even Jesus likes my voice. It's a bummer. But can I tell you in truth no humor here, that when you're reconciled to God, you're as close to God at your house or on the job or in your car as you are in this church. Some people say, I want to go to church because I just want to feel the presence of God. Dear believer, understand, if you're saved, the presence of God is always with you because the Holy Spirit is inside of you, and you are reconciled to God, and He is our peace who died for us, and we are close to Him because He died for us, and we have a relationship with Him because He lives inside of us. I mean, that's the God who we worship. That's the God who we serve. I don't have to do something special to be close to. Him. I don't have to give something special to be close to him. I don't have to say special words. I don't have to hold certain beads. I don't have to wear any clothes. I don't have to go on certain trips. I'm close to God because of the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Here's the question Are you taking advantage of those benefits? They're available. The benefits of justification remind us of our eternal standing in Christ. Are you taking advantage of them? Are you enjoying the peace that comes from God? Are you enjoying a restored relationship with Him? Are you enjoying direct access to Him or the hope of heaven? Are you growing as a Christian in Christian maturity? Does the love of God, are you enjoying it spread abroad in your hearts? Are you being reminded as we sing songs like we did today, Christ is mine forevermore? Does does that cause the love of God to spring up in your heart? Are you excited that you're saved from the wrath to come? Do you enjoy the reality that you're reconciled to God? You should. It's available to you. You're not a weaker Christian because you enjoy the benefits. You're a worse Christian if you don't enjoy the benefits. God didn't give us the benefits for us to ignore to try to prove how strong we were. No, no, when we are weak, He has seen us strong. During college, I worked at Enterprise Rent-A-Car. And our motto, at least back then, I don't know what it is today, but our motto back then at Enterprise was, we'll pick you up. Some of you may have rented from Enterprise back in the day, they were the biggest rental car sales folks in the world. I mean, they would. It was a grind to rent a car from Enterprise because they wanted to force that insurance on you. Boy, I mean, that was the whole job. You got to buy the collision damage waiver, the loss damage waiver, the pet damage waiver, the mother-in-law loss I mean, we had more waivers and insurances than you could imagine. I mean, and, and they got paid. You got paid based on the sales. Well, I was a part-time employee. I was going to college, and so part-timers, though I had been in the rental car industry for years. Uh, Really, that's what I worked my whole way through college, but I'd never worked at Enterprise. And uh, so I wasn't allowed to be a salesman for him or to work the desk. I had to wash the cars, and I was the one, me and the other part-timers, we were the ones that would pick you up. That was our job. We'll pick you up. Well, because I had more experience in customer service than some of the other guys did, I was often assigned the task of, of greeting people at the front when they would pull in and kind of bringing them in and kind of showing them where they go. We worked, I worked up in Ontario at the Ontario airport. and We were the busiest uh, enterprise location in the nation at the time. And so my job was to greet people. It was not uncommon for me to see people in cabs pull up and get out and come in. And as they would come in, uh, we would strike up a conversation, and and I would say something like this, "Uh, you know, we would have picked you up. They're like, really? I'm like, yes, it's in our name, Enterprise. We'll pick you up. So if you live within like a three-mile radius or you're at the airport, we'll pick you up for free. And then people would always respond like this. I mean, probably 100% of the time, this was their response well, I just didn't want to bother anyone. And I would look at them and I would say this, it's my job. And if you don't use me, they fire me. So please keep a starving college student employed. Call and we'll pick you up. And they would Call and they would normally talk about it, and we would uh, make a customer out of them, and we would start picking them up. They would then start taking advantage of the benefits. I wonder how many Christians think they're doing God a favor by not taking advantage of the benefits that He offers. He's given those benefits to glorify himself. Not for you to prove that you don't need them. The reason that they're there is because we need them. The reason that they're there is because we can't live a successful Christian life without them. You won't stay a faithful Christian if you don't have the peace of God in your heart, and neither would I. You won't stay a faithful Christian if you're always wondering whether or not you are reconciled to God or has God ticked off at you every day of your life. No, no. These are his benefits. And he wants you to enjoy them. The question is, are you? You say, oh, Pastor, I, I would love to enjoy those benefits, but I'm not even sure I'm a Christian. Well, then today I would encourage you. Understand you're a sinner. Understand that because of your sin, you'll be eternally separated from God in a place called hell. But Christ loves you so much that he left heaven and he came to earth and he died for your sin that you might be reconciled to God or be in a right relationship with God and you might have eternal life. Not might like in the the possibility sense, but that you will have eternal life if you come to Jesus Christ. Do you know Christ? If not today, you can pray a simple prayer of God to forgive you of your sin and you asking Jesus Christ to come into your heart and to save you. There's no special magic prayer words. Somebody said to me one time, what's the Baptist prayer for salvation? There isn't one. The prayer of salvation is a prayer of repentance. I'm sorry that I've sinned against you and faith, I trust in you for eternal life. There's no magic words. God knows the cry of your heart. And if you're here today and you don't know Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, ask Him to save you today. He'll save you from the wrath to come. And if you're a believer here today who's struggling and and you're you're in turmoil today, understand maybe God's doing a work in you to mature you, but why don't you spend some time thinking about what God is doing in your life and, and ask yourself the question, are you taking advantage of the benefits that God has given you? And if not today, determined determined to do just that. Thank you for listening. Hear more messages today at canyonridgebaptist.com. If you're in the San Diego area, please join us for a service. We meet on Sundays at 8.30 a.m., 10.30 a.m., and 5 o'clock p.m. Pacific Time.